You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Scoped Out Shooting Optics and Accessories. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 69. Stop sniggering, Greg. Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> look, I'm glad you're excited for the episode, but let's uh, let's keep things above board for at least ten minutes. Um, oh, my name is Rusty, and, and that obviously uh, is Greg, the snicker you heard in the background. How are you, Greg? Yeah, good, good. Yep, still distracted, I can tell. Yeah. And uh, also joining us via Skype is uh, Mr. Simon Ross from Canberra. How are you, Simon? Yes, very well, Rusty. Thanks for having me on. No, no problems at all, mate. And you are, I guess, uh, have been on the episode, on the show before, um, talking about the Precision Service Rifle series. That's correct. Yes, it was a it was a good interview. Although that's gone back quite a while now, so it's uh, we're glad to have you back. Thank you. And and well, now that we brought up that topic, um, tell us a bit, a bit about how the series are going. You've had quite a few matches this year. It's about. 10 or, or more, isn't it? All up? Yeah, I think we had a, I thought 11 for the year, spread across the, you know, Canberra, um, Victoria down in Castlemaine and Hornsby up in New South Wales. And um, we're getting the home stretch now with three to go with the uh, with the championship still being a tight contention between a number of the top shooters. So, um, and yeah, we just finished a, a competition on the weekend, which is uh, a popular long range one because we have a thousand yard range here in Canberra. So we stretched the legs a bit and had uh, competitors shooting at clays at 1,035 yards. Um, you'd be happy to know that the uh, the clays are safe for the weekend due to the, <laughs> some of the tricky wind conditions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, and uh, yes, yes. And uh, we even had a bit of a, uh, a side bet going. So you know, yeah, the pot's getting bigger every, every single day. But um, but no, yeah, it was right. a fantastic day. And uh, we shot from a thousand yards down to uh, down to six hundred for that one. And um, and we had a bit of different positions on the way down. And you had a quite a few shooters for that one for for Canberra. Is that right? Yeah, we had thirty-one shooters. And um, so it just goes to show that when you do um, offer some different types of ranges, because obviously people from Sydney don't really have an opportunity to shoot a thousand yards too often at their local uh, local clubs and ranges. And so, yeah, the feedback was uh, extremely positive, which means that we'll be, <laughs> of course, doing a lot more of them. Mm, absolutely. And from some of the photos, I saw a little bit of positional stuff creeping in or barricade type stuff yeah. creeping in. Yeah, that's right. We, we modelled off something called a Swedish match that obviously us internet generation just you know, stumbled on. We were Googling, you know, <laughs> the type of matches for inspiration. <laughs> and uh, yes, and, and um, we decided to mix and match, not only long range, but um, put them into, uh, you know, different types of positions of um, sitting off the side of mounds and across the, the top of a few barricades. In fact, my barricade uh, builder um, couldn't actually make it, so I had to do some quick uh, quick thinking with some tank traps, yeah. Um, but mostly it was standard, you know, bipod and everything else. It was it was really uh, designed for, you know, wind cores, precision, arguing with your do I see throwing things at him, him throwing things at you, and uh, so that was that type of match that we uh, that we had on the weekend. A pretty standard team match. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, some friendships made and destroyed. But um, you'd be happy to know that we had a target. It was about 50 centimetres by 60 centimetres by memory, like a figure 12 target. And um, the winner only missed, dropped a single shot off the target. 40 rounds in total, only hit 39 on target. So, wow. outstanding shooting. Mm. Mm. That's uh, that's pretty good. Um, who happened to win that one? Uh, as you know, probably no uh, no surprise, Mr. 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 Crisp from from down south Tasmania, um, and I want to have a shout out to poor old uh, Lucas McKenney. They're a bit of a team now, and uh, he turned up on the morning and he jumped on the mobile phone, and I overheard him having a, a bit of a I wouldn't say it was a, a strong conversation, but a stressful conversation. He left his ammunition on the reloading bench back in Melbourne. So I, so I actually overheard him, and he was he was just basically going to have to not shoot for the day. So I actually said, no, you have to, I'll just lend him my rifle and said, mate, you might as well shoot because you come all this way. And he was very thankful for the day, mm. but he broke the uh, 
broke the cardinal sin when you borrow someone's rifle ammunition and load development. He uh, he beat me with it. So um, well done, Lucas. But you know your gun works. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was actually quite good because you know I dropped eleven points and he only dropped five or six points or something. And of course, you do sometimes in the back of your mind blame the equipment every now and then. But this was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. to show that my and calls were absolutely confirms fantastic. everything. And his was absolutely fantastic. So, <laughs> uh, oh, good. Well, that's the. It sounds like it was good fun anyway, and and it's really good to hear that sort of thing when when someone is in trouble with their equipment, people step up. And and from what I got told by Lucas, the you were you weren't the only one to offer a gun up uh, as an option there. Yeah, no, it was really good. It was very gracious and thankful, and yeah, it was not a problem at all. In fact, I normally take a thing. And to the comps just for that reason um, because we all have all been there you know mm. the, the, the devastating look in your face when you forgot the bolt <laughs> forgot, forgot the ammo <laughs> so, <laughs> forgot something and instantly once you've got them something to concentrate on a new rifle whatever then you know their their whole uh, demeanor changes so that's what it's all about yeah absolutely it's about having a good time it's uh, about enjoying yourself so no, fantastic, mate, and, and glad to hear those numbers are getting up. I know the Melbourne uh, shoot is uh, is pumping away with quite a few regular attendees, and in fact, selling out quite often. Yeah, 40, 40 odd, um, you know, mid mid to low forties is fantastic. Um, and Jared does a brilliant effort trying to corral that number of shooters because you know we know you guys do a brilliant brilliant job as well. Well, but yeah, he, uh, for for a guy that sort of you know sort of started the old match directing thing, he's just fantastic. So well, well, well oiled machine now, which is fantastic. Yeah, I look, I look forward to. It. I'm, I'm intending to get over there for the uh, the one in uh, what does that put us November uh, for the one in Victoria. Yep. So I'm really hoping to be able to be there and uh, and see it all run, see it all nice and uh, nice and smooth. Now, was, was did, how did Jared go? Didn't didn't Jared do really well at the Canberra shoot as well? Ah. Uh, Okay, you're probably right, actually, because there was a bit of controversy with the um, shooter A, shooter B markings when we took their names down. Right. I might have had him mixed around. So, yes, Jared did win. Sorry. Okay. Right. And George was second. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Crispy uh, loser. Yes, sorry. Sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Giving some, selling uh, some false it. hope. Yeah. I'm surprised I didn't, Jared didn't, uh, yes, if Jared reads, hear this. How you going, Jared? <laughs> sorry, mate. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> oh good oh well there's uh, always a bit of controversy about that sort of stuff that's uh, a good way to be yeah no he's um he's almost shot at shot out the barrel of his rifle he does that every six weeks so he's probably onto a new barrel already so <laughs> that's, that's how he rolls he's moved on <laughs> uh, excellent and uh, and speaking of getting out and shooting uh greg you uh you had a bit of an eventful weekend yeah uh, just yeah. gone as well just uh spent through four days three nights out sort of varmint shooting and pest control um, shooting, so yeah, it, it went pretty well. I had a bit of trouble with my thermal, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Yeah, I rushed a rifle together, and you know when you mm. rush something, it doesn't quite turn out how you want it to. So I didn't yep. do enough range time to sort of iron out all the bugs, and it bit me on the first and second night. Oh um, no! Yeah, just had trouble with zero. Um, but yeah, ironed it out on the the last night, and then I was fine. But yeah, no, um, I was with Sean from STS, and yeah, he shot really well. Um, but yeah, ended up with about, I think 11 or 12 foxes and you yeah, sorted out some, uh, some, you know, quite a few rabbits and yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So no, it was good. Good to be out. Good time away. And I saw a video of a, of a fox checking out your swag while you weren't yeah. there. Yeah. We had a, we had a big feed of lamb chops and, uh, we're just throwing all our scraps out and, uh, Sean put a time-lapse camera on our campsite and then we went off adventuring and uh yeah when the sun went down a little fox came in and cleaned up the campsite for us yeah all caught <laughs> on camera the, but the fox pups were out um so they were pretty game uh, it's very generous of him yeah to clean up camp for you that's, yeah that's uh, good that's good yeah, yeah nicely good. done yeah uh, well i didn't get out shooting so um yeah there you go uh good story but i'm going to melbourne um, tomorrow, uh, today is, well, it's Wednesday night and this podcast will actually probably go up later Wednesday night. So if you're listening to it just as soon as it's come out, uh, I'll be on the road tomorrow to Melbourne for a bit of a gun show uh, over there at the Arms and Military Affair. But, uh, most importantly on Friday night, we're going to be at the, uh, Terminus Hotel in, uh, Fitzroy North or North Fitzroy, one of the ones. One or the other, and uh, doing a bit of a catch-up night. So if you want to come along and have a beer, if you happen to hear this before Friday night, 
about 7 o'clock, uh, you would be welcome to come down. But we have been plugging on Facebook and the website as well. I've, uh, I've got in my hands, well, actually I'm passing over to Greg right now, uh, a chassis that we've been loaned uh, for a couple of weeks. Just have a bit of a play with it. It's a Masterpiece Arms chassis. One of their light, um, there's a name on it there, a BA light um, so it's uh, it's not necessarily a full competition. Obviously, the um, uh, Masterpiece Arms chassis are a very predominant um, chassis over in the US for the PRS, as well as in, in other disciplines. And this is, I believe, without doing the full research, like their light version hunting type sort of style, probably closer, I'm getting closer to an ESS, but not quite in, in some ways. What do you think there, uh, Greg? Yeah, very nice, very nice. Um, you can tell the, the, the qualities there. Um, they've they've done a lot of cut cutouts here to get the weight down all through the chassis, all mm. through the butt stocks, quite skeletal. Um, but mm. yeah, very nice. And I like the inbuilt uh, uh, cant bubble in the back. Yeah, in the back uh, of the stock, quite a good add. So it's sort of inbuilt to the stock, just behind uh, where the action would be, mm. um, which is pretty cool. But yeah, it's it's a really nice, um, really tight, light stock. Yeah, it looks good, and certainly their their stocks or their chassis are uh, sort of in the higher end uh, for the competition stuff. Simon, have you ever played with one of these? No, no, I haven't. I've just I was just uh, researching them before. Yeah, they do look pretty uh, pretty Gucci. Mm, they they got lots of little options with barricade stops and bits and pieces and sliding bipods and all this sort of gear. So this this one I don't think has all those features, but um certainly the the competition level sh- uh, chassis do. What what um what are you running on your setup currently, Simon? Oh, I'm a bit of a I've always been a bit of a traditionalist, Acris International, mm-hmm. uh, Thumbhole, um, AT, you know, previously had AI on the old Stiller, yep. and um the reason I like is because is when we're shooting, you know, the the Hawkins and getting down nice and low, it's got the uh, that that big sometimes with a big um, pistol grip or type of arrangement. It does tend to put the back of the rifle fairly high, and I can get nice and low. But as you know, it's, it's a, <laughs> something I've been shooting since since I was uh, in, a, in the early twenties. So it's been a, yeah, it's right. just been something that you always gravitate to. And, and pretty familiar with it, and so it, yeah, it makes sense. I, when yeah. I did when I did shoot that AI um, of uh, Butters, the the AX, when I shot that mm. up in Darwin, um, I did find Hawkins um, really quite easy and comfortable on that particular setup. So I don't know, maybe it's just something about the, the build of the AIs, but that uh, was quite a comfortable position to take. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think um, one, well, I think it's because of the fact that um, that it is a military style firearm, and it is a is a recognised position where you don't necessarily have the benefits of a of a, you know flat ground in front of you when you <laughs> put your rifle down. That uh, mm. getting a low profile yeah. is is critical. Yeah, absolutely. Making making the most of what you have got. It's good. Um, the other thing that we wanted to uh, mention was we haven't really I don't think we've really talked about this one Greg is uh, is Patreon. No. Um, we sort of set it up on the slide the other week and um, and it's on the website and if you don't know what Patreon or, uh, Patreon is it basically allows those who uh, like our show enough um, can give uh, donate money to the cause effectively on a you know monthly or episode sort of basis and doesn't you know generally have, doesn't have to be much a dollar or two dollars or five bucks or ten bucks a month or something like that and it just goes into the running costs of keeping the website up and keeping the uh, the file sharing um, or the, the podcast content actually online because all that stuff costs money uh, and we'd like to do some equipment upgrades and bits and pieces so I guess sort of reluctantly we've set it up uh, and we haven't actually talked about it and then someone um, who uh, we're very thankful for actually found it and jumped online and started um, yeah was our first contributor yeah. so we thought oh well all right we better we better make mention of this so if you do like the show and you can spare us a dollar a month or a couple of bucks a month or whatever. There's a couple of little benefits you do get as well, um, some Q&A stuff and other bits and pieces. But um, just on our website, you can uh, hit the Patreon button and find out some of the options. We would certainly appreciate it because it will allow us to uh, make this sound a little bit better and um, try and like block out noises of Greg opening cans in the background. <laughs> And busted, <laughs> and and other bits and pieces, and and uh, we'll hopefully go into a, to improving and making a, a 
even better show. Uh, so anyway, if you uh, are that way inclined, that'd be great. If not, continue listening. We'd, we'd still love you to have you on board. Uh, absolutely. So cool. All right, we've done enough on that, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll move on. Cool. So um, tonight, um, uh, Andrew sent his apologies. By the way, he uh, is stuck at work and can't get here. Um, but we got an email from someone recently. And they asked a bunch of questions. So this is uh, from a gentleman by the name of Alex. And he, uh, okay, it's fairly lengthy. He gives a little bit of a background. And ironically, he gives the background for Andrew. Because um, Andrew always says he liked some more context to, yep. to the question. And he's not here. So that's gone quite well. Uh, I'll run through it quickly. Give you guys a bit of a, a heads up of the background of it. And then get into a couple of the questions. So, uh, he's got. A, he's been listening to the podcast and he's caught up from uh, wherever, episode one to episode, I guess, 68 so far. And he's got a bunch of questions. Uh, he's a student. Oh, that explains all the time he's got. Um, in Sydney. And the family farm is four hours away. So, I guess, grew up on, on a farm. Uh, has never set foot on a range, but has done a fair bit of hunting and culling over the years with the beat-up farm guns. Haven't we all? Uh, I've always enjoyed it, but never had much time or money to put into it. I'm about to graduate. Uh, congratulations. Uh, so planning on new 2D3, how a varmint uh, to tune up in. Uh, he's a big fan of the manuals used, uh, manuals put out by Nathan Forster uh, over in New Zealand, um, who runs ballisticstudies.com, which a website I'm more than happy to promote. That's an excellent website, uh, which has been a great source of info on accurate shooting in general. For spotlighting and daylight, I'm culling on foxes is the purpose for that 223. Since gun was for hunting within three yards, he's already bought a 4 to 16 by 44 Viper uh, from Vortex with a BDC reticle and started uh, and standard covered targets uh, turrets. I'm doing well here, Greg. Um, but after listening to the show, I reckon I'll go for a few STS targets and try the new rifle at longer ranges. I'm pretty sure Sean knows us a carton now. Yeah, pretty much. I reckon that's the way it works. So um, anyway, we're on to the questions. So uh, how should I start trying to push the 2D3 out there? What sort of ranges and what sort of size targets would you recommend a precision shooting novice starts trying to hit with a 2D3 using only holdover? He does perhaps suggest that he should get a thermal and a bubble level and everything <laughs> else will take care of itself. What is he saying? <laughs> I think uh, I think he's following your lead there, Badger. Uh, all right, so coming back to that question, um, how do you go about starting to push that 2 to 3 and what sort of ranges and target size would be uh, appropriate uh, given what he's doing? Uh, Simon, we'll throw that to you first, mate. Straight into yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question because obviously, um, you know, the twist rate of the barrel will dictate a lot of what he can and can't shoot in terms of projectile weight. Um, I always thought that the, you know, <laughs> you know, the 69 grainer, um, what I grew up on, was always the the go-to sort of general purpose, um, Sierra Match King general purpose projectile weight. Greg um, snickering again. <laughs> um, um, this is a long time ago now, but. The old fifty. Yeah. Sorry to jump in there, but the the 50, right. 53 grain VMAX Hornady has got an unusually high BC too that compares with the sixty nines. Yeah, but that's that's a strange one. That's an anomaly. Hmm. Well, yeah. I, I actually I actually use the fifty five grain AMAX in my twenty two two fifty, which I believe because it's bloody fantastic. Yeah. Um, but in terms of ranges, you know, it's, you know, it all depends on the, as I experienced on the weekend, you know, the type of conditions you're shooting at, <laughs> spotlighting um, around um, sort of where I live at night, the wind has generally uh, dropped off now that the, the heat's mm. taken out of the day. Um, but then, you, then you, of course, you're at the slave to the length of the spotlight. Um, but during the day and the afternoon around here, the wind comes up and, um, yeah, if you're shooting <laughs> the 53 grainer, then I wouldn't be trying to hit anything more than, you know, a 30 centimetre, 30 centimetre target past 300, 400, speaking from experience, mm. strong experience, of course. Um, but like I said, because it's used to, um, for vomiting and basic work, then anything out to 300, I think would be, would be easily, you know, one, what we call it, one minute of, one minute of fox or one minute of, mm -hmm. of, of rabbit. 
Um, but yeah, no, I'd love to know the twist rate because obviously 80s is, is what everyone tries to go for in the target community because of the heavy bullet weight, which means less wind resistance. You do sacrifice a bit of flatness when you're trying to work on your holdovers. Um, but um, and that's where the 50, yeah, as we just said before, the 53, 55 grains have a bit more, uh, have a bit more uh, sort of go for it. Um, and but yeah, but in terms of a starting point, he's done brilliant work. Well, Hiawa's now getting a lot more aftermarket accessories I've ever seen before. Every time I open up an ad, that's a, there's another Hiawa stock, so he's doing really well there. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, he's yeah, he should be right. Well, I do believe those Hiawas are a one in nine uh, twist rate. Okay, generally speaking, in two to threes now they changed about. Um, about four-ish years ago, they changed from one in twelve down to uh, well, up to down to whatever a one in nine. So uh, he does actually list in his next sentence uh, the fifty-five grainers and potentially the sixty-nine SMKs for long-range sort of practice. So um, that's in I guess your first question there, Simon, was uh, what twist rate is it, and um, and then clarified as to why, and and yeah, I mm. think that he probably sits in in the right camp there with a the one in nine that he's got the options there of, of jumping between those two. There, there's a seventy-five grain was always popular too because you can fit in the magazines. I'm not too familiar if the how um, if it's the the magazine or just the standard. You know, follower system, especially if you're running tickers, it was always a was it the 70? I can't remember now, 75 grain, I think it was. Um, because the 80s, you just couldn't feed them out long enough. Mm. So, um, I think I think the 75s, you could just get in a one and nine twist, too, by the way. I think just yeah. so, yeah, he's 69. I've made I've shot 69s, just some spectacular groups, um, and, and everything else. And they're very easy to the projectiles, easy to get. And a lot of the manufacturers usually aim for around that uh, around that bullet weight too. Yeah, I've used the um, the sixty nine grainers in my um, two to three, and been very very happy with it. And in, in fairness, we've taken that sort of comfortably out to uh, seven hundred and a bit more, mm. uh, eight hundred. Um, my my sort of thoughts on target size would be uh, relevant to what he's doing if he's spotlighting with it. Well. Use rabbit size targets and mm. fox size targets that are appropriate for the, you know, dropping the, the things. Even getting, we're talking STS, he'd mentioned that. So STS mm. make fox uh, fox and rabbits targets. So something like that would be, you know, would be a sensible way to do it because then you're actually practicing on what you're going to be shooting. I actually, uh, I actually have an old Springfield tactical scope. I don't think they make them anymore. That had the original. It's quite innovative because it actually had a spirit level inside the inside the scope. Mm, so when you right. look through it, you could actually adjust your cant. Um, and uh, they came in two types. There was a two two three and a three oh eight. And would you believe in the two two three, they actually had um, a ballistic reticle. Sorry, the, yeah, the ballistic markings on the reticle. So mm-hmm. you'd have a one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And if you read the instructions, it was um, designed for a 69 grainer um, Sierra Match King doing 3,000 feet per second. Yeah, right. And uh, and so I thought it was, it was interesting because she's trying to get a 69 or 3,000 feet per second mm. <laughs> was a bit of a challenge, but it's uh, a fair effort. Yeah, it must have been for uh, for longer barrels, but um, but no, it was spectacular because yeah, as you said, seven put it on the seven, and I tightened the range a couple of times with a fairly hot load and brilliant, just fantastic. But unfortunately, they don't make them anymore, which is a real shame. They had a three hundred eight version, and it was tuned to the one sixty eight grain Sierra Match King at twenty six hundred yep. feet per second. So there you go, more more achievable on that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Great. This is right up your alley. Two D threes on foxes and and rabbits and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my two two three, I, I I had a one in twelve and I ran lighter. Um, but obviously, you know, this fella's looking at doing other tasks too. So mm. he's got to pick one one in preference and and one the other's either going to suffer or not. Um, but yeah, I ran the lighter end. Um, I ran fifty three grainers. Um, that just the the teak, I, I was running a teaker and it really really loved them. Um, so I was you know getting excellent groups. Um, I ran the V Max because yeah, I'm vomiting. So mm. you know, really good energy transfer on foxes so for me that was a perfect mix um i was decking foxes out well my my record at night is 403 with the 223 um but it gets a bit shaky out there gets a bit yeah you know any sort of wind and it's it's starting to get tough to call um but i do practice 
out to 700 um, with a 223 um, or 750. But again, you know, it's tough to call that wind if it's gusty. Um, in a consistent wind, you can you can pull it off. But yeah, it, it, they get pretty shaky out there. They're pretty light. Um, mm. But in terms of target size, I usually carry around a, a 2MOA at 500. Um which is a quick deploy target from STS. Yeah, it's um, at 291 millimetres. This is the one, yep. That target size, yep. yep. And that's a great little target. Uh, I'll just chuck that in the car and quite often I'll, you know, stick that out at a couple of hundred or, or you know, a hundred initially if I want to check the zero and then I'll drop it straight out to 500. Yep. Um, just make sure my drops are on. Um, you know, if it's a centre fire, I'll drop it out to 700 and just quickly do a cowl. Um, so that's that's a really good target size. The quick deploy is a really good option because you can just chuck it in the car and grab a star dropper off the farm or whatever. Uh, so that makes it really practical as part of your hunting kit. Um, but yeah, two two three, great little round, great caliber. Um, mm. Killed a lot of foxes. One of those, um, one of those guns, and certainly can go a lot longer than many people give it credit for. And and when it's set up well with a good twist rate, you can certainly push it out there. Yeah, yeah. So the next uh, the next point he says is, uh, for the time being, oh, here we go, uh, for the time being, say the ammo I'll be shooting is uh, OSA 55 grain Blitz Kings or Game Kings for hunting, and potentially the 69 Outback ammo SMKs for LR practice, which you referenced yep. before, um, which I think covers exactly what we were talking about. Yep. Uh, next question there is, he has an old spotting scope, uh, but not a rangefinder. If he's just trying to learn, uh, is it important that I get one? Uh, perhaps let's throw two things in there. One being the rangefinder, and the other one is the spotting scope. How how important do these uh, two pieces of uh, items play a role, Greg? Well, well for you, me, the, the rangefinder is a no-brainer. Um, with the two two three, when he starts reaching out, that's going to be dropping um, pretty solid. Yeah, uh, and you're going to need a fairly accurate range with um, very little margin of error to to hit on target. Mm. Um, so yeah, if, if like I said, if you if you're gonna reach out, that the range finder is just a no-brainer to me. Um, obviously, you're gonna well, he's looking at hunting, so you might want to step up. Don't buy something at the cheap end because as soon as you get out bush and you start getting those, you know, salt bush and all that sort of stuff, um, an mm. 800 meter, thousand meter range finder becomes a 600 meter range finder. Um, so yeah, just you know, buy something good, buy something once. Um, but yeah, definitely rangefinder for me. Yeah, I, I find that the um, when you're trying to practice estimating range over dead ground, I'm hopeless at it. And it's when I bought myself <laughs> a rangefinder that you you know look at your mate and go, oh yeah, that tree's 200 meters, and of course it was 80 or something. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. opposite, it was 400. Especially under spotlight. <laughs> went, mm. Oh yeah, yeah. but yeah, right. I couldn't agree more. And hunting, yeah, spotlights yeah. really. Sorry, I say again, a rangefinder is really good for, 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 for learning the you know trying to because we always do the cricket, you know, the sort of the rugby pitch. That's what you call it, the rugby league pitch. Yeah, that's oh, well, your guys AFL pitch or something. Mm. But yeah, I was hopeless at it. It wasn't until I got a rangefinder that I could actually start to predict it much easier. Yeah. But then again, it's also for bigger animals as well because as you said, you know, a fox at 400 meters, the margin of error is significant. Yeah. Um, um, but in terms of target use, I wouldn't bother because, well, you know, you know the <laughs> all the range is <laughs> correct, yeah. yeah. And, and that's where a spotting scope um, becomes uh, in its own as well because you always have a, hopefully a friend helping you spot the target after you let it go and then um, he can give you the give you the call to get you on so you get more confidence in the gear. But, yeah, absolutely in the field. Yeah, and I think um, also the range finder ties in well with learning a ballistic app and getting all your inputs mm-hmm. right and, and letting the, the, the ballistic app teach you, you know, your your solutions. And, and mm. you know, like we've said before, it's only as good as your, your worst entry. Yep. Um, so getting all your entries right. Um, and I usually spell my name wrong on those things. So, yeah. yeah off to a flyer. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, that would tie in really well with learning to reach out and, and getting a ballistic app on your smartphone and, and really start trying to understand how that thing works. And, and it, it will teach you pretty quickly um, of, of what sort of solutions you're after. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to side with you guys and say that the uh, the rangefinder is probably the, the pick out of those two. Um, and, and, you know, having one or not having one, definitely definitely get one. Uh, predominantly, if you're hunting or if you're going to be shooting by yourself on, on unknown distances, you know, your, your property at home or something like that. If you are going to a range or you are going shooting with the same guys regularly and they have one, save yourself the money and, and mm. you know, put... put 
put the money in elsewhere and but eventually real, realize that as part of the kit whether it's yours or the guys you shoot with uh, it's going to be a pretty essential part uh, of that kit and I've been you know fairly uh, fortunate where I uh, I've been without my own decent rangefinder for quite a long time mm. uh, but all the guys I had around uh, had uh, good rangefinders or uh, I was shooting on areas that I know the ranges uh, already yeah. predetermined. I just uh, recently picked up a six kilo that everyone keeps talking about. Uh, a 2000 model. It was cheap. It was in my wife's um, budget, as we all know. And <laughs> what, a, what a fantastic piece of kit that is. Yeah, I just right. <laughs> for, uh, for a guy that, uh, yeah, doesn't do much, you know, long range hunting or, or that sort of thing. It was just brilliant. Loved it. I highly recommend it. What sort of range is you getting on? What sort of uh, environments? Yeah, good, really good question. So, you know, around, we're just playing with it, the range, you know, and we were up to the big, big stop butt, as you know, a big hill in front of mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And it, um, in, in terms of the, tra- the classic grass, you know, tree, the occasional rock, um, thousand meters easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thousand and five meters. That's where you could start staring. It was just fading it out, in and out, in and out, and it had the AMR feature. I think, which means it adjusts. I think if you had, you know, if it's higher and lower. Um, I haven't tried reflective yet um, because we haven't got anything out that yet to, you know, sort of at the range that can reflect off. Mm-hmm. But I was mentally impressed of being able to hit off a grassy hill at a thousand meters um and yeah you I'll just hold the finger down and you can move it up and down the hill and it was just constantly constantly giving you the you know the the, the, the current range um i can see now where people rave on about them yeah right and what's the recommended retail on those these days well because it's an older model um it's i think we're up to the 2400 now and i think there's a 2200 and i went for the 2000 i think i picked mine up for online for about 400 and plus 460 450 i think it was oh, bargain, bargain. Yeah. yeah you know in the shooting world if it's a, if it's under a thousand bucks you, you're doing all right oh absolutely and it was um brand new in the box yeah i was i was lucky i think i just just picked up at the right time and space and and the wife wasn't looking but the uh <laughs> but yeah everyone you know i've um i've made much stew has got the Leica. i think he's got the Leica. oh yeah they're not I'm, not a bad yeah i had a Leica for a while the 1600b yeah. i don't know what the new one's like yeah, I think he's got something similar, and it was fantastic as well. But uh, but I don't know. You wouldn't tell me how much he paid for it, so I wasn't too sure. But yeah, if yeah. I was a student, if I was a student, and I was looking as you all alluded to before, because you know you're, you're going to make a decision. Because I did have a oh, hundred years ago, I went to Walmart when I was in the states and bought one of those Bushnell. <laughs> it's yeah. like a four fifty, four fifty or something. I only paid hundred ninety dollars for it. But to be honest with you, it was just no good because you just couldn't. It wouldn't lace a grassy knoll past two three hundred. Yeah. Um, then I read the box again. It was designed for bow and arrows, which is sort of buyer beware. But anyway, we won't go there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit silly. Um, so yeah, it was, that's what happens when you when you you know you, you buy something cheap, but for the extra couple hundred dollars, now it's just something I'm never never you know not having the pack when we go out go out bush. Yeah, very good. Spotting scope can be really uh, really important, and I think Simon, you said before that it's it's great when there's two of you doing it it's difficult unless you're shooting a lot of paper uh to to spot your own shots uh with it but um you can use a you can use a good quality scope uh effectively i'd i'd probably go down the path of putting that that money if you were to buy a good spotting scope make sure you've got that money invested in your scope first yeah and then if you do and then you you're wishing for a spotting scope on top of that then great go go for it mm. or if you again in, in that collective if, if there's a few of you one by a rangefinder one by a good spotting scope or, and and you know bits and pieces so you've got good good gear but I've, i have seen i have seen guys waste uh, put put um, cheap money into a spotting scope when they really need to throw some some serious cash into it yeah. um because they can be they they very quickly reach their limit if they are if they're at the lower end of the budget, mm. very quickly, mm. and you get you feel very disappointed with uh, buy them. Yeah, mm, I couldn't agree with you more, Rusty. You've seen, you know, you 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 shoot. You want to be able to have more confidence when shooting, you know, in terms of the target, remove all the variables. So having a good quality rifle scope is the starting point. Mm. Um, and then and then you know once you shoot it more, once you, you know, especially a student, you know, you're obviously going to start out 
sort of you know learning um and then once you've worked out what you want to do moving forward for like we've all done you know we always gravitate to things we enjoy because we're good at it um and then you can start investing your money somewhere else mm. um the reason I did invest in a, uh, a top-end spotting scope, though, for the, the shoots that we do, the precision service rifle shooting, is because you absolutely do want to give as much um, um, as much chance you can to see the swirls and see the uh, see the fall of shot. Agreed. Um, yep. It's just critical. Yeah, because you're yelling at your partner. Everyone's yelling at you know. It's pretty fun and rapid where you can't even hear yourself think because everyone's screaming at them. Come left, go right, come up, come down. Um, but if you can see that swirl and you obviously there's little nuances where you sort of focus it 20 metres, 30 metres in front of the target type of thing, um, it did make a big difference, massive difference from, from my uh, from my scores, mm. being able to see the, see the fall of shot properly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so speaking of spending money, uh, his next question is this. What's the consensus on the most important equipment I should be fo- I should focus on getting for developing and reloading accurate rounds? Uh, I know you spoke about reloading kits before, but I'm picking through Gumtree, uh, other second-hand sales, garbage bins, for anything you can find. Obviously, being a, a student, uh, funds are limited. So looking to get started for as little as possible, but I don't want to waste money on stuff I'll throw out down the track. That's the that's the kicker, isn't it? Right there. Tough one. I'll kick off with with that one. Um, and I'm going to suggest that uh, it's not necessarily always the equipment that you're using uh, in reloading, as much as is on your patience and the time you take with it. You can get exceptionally good loads out of okay equipment of course you know you got to make sure your scales are consistent bits and pieces like that which i'm sure we'll get into but um you would be much better to spend your time in it than than think you can just throw money at it and it you know it all, it all goes away and and becomes magic because i've seen guys with with top-end equipment do very average loads because they rush it and I've, I've seen the flip side where guys are using very cheap sort of, you know, let's say a, a cheap lead kit that's secondhand that they bought from someone who's then upgraded to something else. They've still got really impressive loads out of it, but it's taken them, you know, they've just gone over and over things and pay really good attention to things. Yeah, I'd probably say with me, I, um, you know, I started with a basic kit and I, and I guess, you know, they're not the cheapest things in the world from a student perspective. You know, your whole RCBS kit. Um, but you could certainly put the same things together cheaper from second-hand options. But I, I started with the kit, the basic kit, and just slowly upgraded bits and pieces of the, my reloading gear to sort of make different uh, steps of my reloading easier or quicker or, or, or uh, more precise. Um, and I, I spent quite a bit of time slowly building up my reloading gear. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind. You might not get to the level overnight, but you can sort of identify things that are letting down your your, your different uh, reloading processes, or or uh, you're having you're struggling to get consistent, and you can upgrade that particular component. So you can sort of slowly just uh, do it in priority order as, as the finances allow. So um, yeah, that's what I did. Just different perspective. Yeah. yeah, I did the exact same thing. I think I bought the the anniversary kit from the local gun store and slowly just sort of replaced, upgraded, changed as, as, as the funds and the experience became more relevant. Uh, I must say, though, my first four attempts of reloading a 308 case, I think I turned the case into a BR case. So it was <laughs> too, much, too much luck. So the only uh, advice I'd give anyone, and we think we all know this, is do not hesitate to go and a club, and I did mm. through the club, get some advice yeah, about definitely. setting up all your reloading gear. It's, mate, trust me. I mean, how many times I've read the instruction manual and, and everything else, and the reason I was crunching the rounds would you believe is because it was just simply I wasn't um, inside chamfering the, the case mouse and the projectile was not lining up properly and it's crushing the mm. crushing the case. Mm. Um, so you know it was really 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 good learning learning things and nowadays when I get new guys come up to the club, I first thing I do is offer mate, trust me, can bring me over to your house, um, you know, give me a coffee or a beer and I'll sit down and set it up and I'll save you. <laughs> Days and <laughs> yeah. days of frustration. <laughs> I had two guys here last night actually uh, learning reloading, and they they watched uh, the, both them relatively knowledgeable on the topic, so to speak. They'd watched heaps of videos, they'd read lots, 
and uh, they said that they they you know that information sort of they sort of knew it, but it hadn't sunk in. They hadn't yeah. done it. Um, Put the pieces together. And so we to went speak. through from from scratch all the way through to loaded cases, and mm. they both said, oh, "Look, we now." It's you know backed up a lot of the stuff we we sort of had learnt, but to get hands on with it and do it and have someone show you the process, uh, just changed changed it. Yeah, same same as what you're saying, Zom. You just you skip past a whole stack of those little learning curves. And how much how much lubrication to put in a case? You know, you you over lube, under lube, and both of them can be mm. different results. So keep you know, yeah. oh, setting dies properly, all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of traps for young players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so perhaps we've we've sidestepped the question uh, there from Alex in that not necessarily saying the equipment is everything. Perhaps the the knowledge, the experience, and the time taken um, is you know no matter what equipment you've got uh, would be uh, very you know more critical. Um, but if we were to throw maybe two pieces of equipment each that we would put the priority on, um, Greg, what would you sort of two that? Um, uh, towards the top of the list as oh, okay. starting out, starting out, starting out. I really, uh, obviously, an automatic powder thrower was a big game changer for me. Just purely of time, you know. Especially if he's talking about competition, he's going to be loading some considerable amounts of rounds. It will save him a lot of time. Um, uh, the other thing I, I really liked was um, I bought a automatic. Uh, it trims uh, internal and external deburs at the same time. Uh, Gerald trimmer. My favourite items were probably time savers more and, than anything. And and have both gone for the expensive options for the student. Yeah, sorry, student. Well, well done. Buy one second hand. Does that work? <laughs> what about you, Simon? Couple of the two, maybe the the piece of equipment was worthwhile spending a touch more on, perhaps. Uh, look, yeah, it's a, it's a no-brainer. I think we've all got our balance beams. You know, I used, I used to use those. And you're right, it was, you know, if I was saving time, if I was doing load development, then electronic scales are far superior because you only do your 0.2, 0.3 grain increments and just press of a button rather than have to readjust, um, readjusting the, the the powder through each time. Um, but no, after that, uh, look... Oh, it's a hard one there because I'm I'm still debating with friends what type of lubricant to use. You know, what's better? Let's use a Hornady one shot or they go to the wax. You know, we sort of we go for very expensive discussions to the the cheap of the cheap, and we we argue black and blue. I've had one lubricant. I think it was uh, the orange one. That was it. That was at uh, Lyman, and couldn't use it anymore. It, yeah, because it kept um, um, putting a dent in the in the cases. Uh, the hydraulic lockup, I think it's called, maybe, mm-hmm. but dents in the cases. Yep. I now use that for, for pistol only, so I still use it, but for pistols only. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a lesson learned. Mm. So yeah, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough one, you know. Get yourself a good stable bench would be a good start. Oh, I've yeah, had to reload in a bedroom once. That, that didn't go down well when you've got a. Yeah. You look down in the carpet, realise you got a, <laughs> some <laughs> lots of powder things thrown down there, and you went, yeah, "That's probably mm. not a good idea." Yep. Um, so yeah, I've uh, invested in a good heavy bench because you don't want the flex. I've had it when I was flexing every time you <laughs> put the handle down. It's pretty funny. And um, and clean. Oh, and the other one is clean and tidy too. I do a big a big subscriber on being making sure that you uh, that you don't have complexity when you're reloading because yeah. of this the, the common sense approach to picking up the wrong die slash powder slash you know projectile whatever mm. and having everything neat and tidy means that you have more chance of of being uh, of, of doing everything proper so that's usually something I usually uh, usually mention to a few people okay you know, how do you find anything how do you find the right uh, <laughs> how do you find the right uh, case holder and the right uh, <laughs> the right die take me forever trying to find something if I had some of this some of my mates set up but that's that's, that's what it is yeah. I'm pretty glad you can't see this place at the moment. <laughs> it's uh, it's, not, it's not, not in good condition. It was real clean last night, actually, when we were doing the reloading thing, but not, not so much now. No. Don't take long to trash this place. Just have to outsource it, uh, Rusty, if it's not core business. I said Andrew is working tonight. That's what he's doing. He's, he's here. We're just He's busy tidying up the place. So. <laughs> he's been a naughty boy to reload for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the oh, I was going to put two things forward. Um, one one uh, would be the powder scales of whatever format that takes, be the manual or automatic or anything. But uh, I would I would 
certainly uh, not skimp out on the powder scales, getting consistency with uh, with that, even if it's the balance beams. Uh, I don't not big fan of those Lee ones, uh, but you know, an RCBS one or a Reading one or something that's easy to use but good, got a good reputation um, because you want that powder to be consistent. And the other one, I'm going to go with a... Now I'm trying to think of the name You're of it. You're looking for something. Uh, I'm, I'm looking. It's right behind that powder thrower there. It's the um, flash hole deburrow uniformer oh, on the inside. Point. So we've we've seen, and I guess it's a bit of a pet like. Um, mm. It's a quick little easy way to generally improve SD very easily and very quickly yeah, is to deburr that inside of the primer pocket, a uh, primer of the flash hole. And that has, you know, sort of continued to give good results uh, across the board. So, and they're a relatively cheap little tool. So that's what I'm going to suggest. Uh, they're, they're two areas I'd, I'd mm. put some focus on. Um, but I think, I think that the overwhelming response has been knowledge and time uh, is a much more effective way of getting good loads and than necessarily throwing money at the equipment. That has its place, as you know, someone like Greg knows, throwing money at things. But, Solves um, every problem. <laughs> um, I'll just throw in one quick one for, sure. a, for a student option for a powder. Yeah, because all, all yours were not cheap. <coughs> now, actually, I ended up, um, I've, I've been using a GEMS Pro 250, which is oh, yep. about 250, 200, 250 bucks from the US. So that's far, far cheaper than an automatic thrower. So you could trickle into one of those and get pretty close to single grain accuracy if you're going to be pedantic about it. But um, no, nah, very good way of stepping up your powder accuracy at a cheaper price. Um, so good that's tip. Something to think about. Good tip. All right, we are on to one last question. Last one, and, and I like this one. Uh, so is uh, so you know, certainly something I I enjoy playing with. Got an old Bruno Model Two that I love to shoot, and it's pretty basic configuration. Original stock setup for kids: small hand grip, four end, non free floating barrel with a cheapo scope. Trigger is great, and the barrel seems pretty good, uh, although it's standard sort of thin barrel. What are some good value for money stock and scope improvements you think I could make to this rifle to make it more suitable for practicing shooting basics, but still usable for walking, shooting around some steep hills? And then same question about range, target size, reasonable for a beginner with a 22. Um, budget is a big factor on this one. I think there's Boyd's. I think Boyd's make a a, a, a very cost-effective stock for. Bruno Model Twos. I was looking at one the other day for uh, for getting into you know twenty two tactical events um, because you get a bit more of a cheek world rather than the hunting version. And um, and after that, um, I also think that if someone was to manufacture a, a Picatinny rail from Bruno Model T, they would uh, fly off the shelves because then you can then really have a, a plethora of, of available scope rings and scopes and mounts and cants and everything else. But um, trying to fit it into the um, what's what's the name of the uh, what's the name of the groove on top of the Bruno Model Twos? A weaver? Is it a weaver style? Just a proprietary style? Dove, I can't remember. Dovetail. Yeah. Dovetail. Thank dovetail you. Yeah. Sort. Dovetail. So yeah, if you have a dovetail to Picatinny adapter, um, yep. geez, that would um, open up a whole bunch of, uh, of of options. Thirty mil tubes, you know, tall, short, wide, high. Um, so yeah, that would be my view. Triggers usually on the Bruno Model 2 is pretty good, so you, you wouldn't need to, to, to touch. I've actually got one, a Model 2E, had it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Bloody fantastic, fantastic rifle. Yeah, I've, I've got one, had one for a long time, funnily enough, sitting in a Boyd stock uh, currently. Um, done a modification on the trigger with changing out the spring, and that was, uh, I found enough to really sort of turn it into a comfortable uh, comfortable gun for the type of triggers that I like. Um yeah, I think the he brings up a really good point here, which I, no doubt we've talked about before, and probably we'll talk about again. But the the twenty two, you know, the pr practical type matches um, are starting to be more prevalent, particularly in Australia, because I think uh, for a lot of ranges, it's uh, they don't have the restrictions on what they can do with the twenty two as much as they have on the centerfire. So we're starting to see a lot more traction with that side of things than we are. You know, the centerfire stuff is is ticking along. But the uh, the twenty two stuff is really starting to take off, which is good, and it's also really uh, one. It's affordable because you can pretty much use whatever you like still at this stage, and two, um, it's very uh, 
attainable for most people. Most people have either a 22 or access to a 22. It's not not expensive to get out for a day and shoot, you know, 100, 200 rounds. And you can really test the same skills out uh, quite significantly um, and, and can be very, very challenging. So... Um, I've forgotten the question. We've uh, how do we tweak this gun to to be more along those lines? Uh, yeah, the Boyd stocks are, are good. I mean, yeah, of course, an MPA would be really nice for a masterpiece arm chassis, and they do make that for a twenty two. I do know that um, that the uh, MDT do chassis. If you you know sort of if you're up around that sort of budget, the MDTs uh, they do make options for the CZs and. The uh, trigger, um, I know he doesn't ask about trigger, That's we're just putting that in there for him. Uh, scope, I'd probably, if possible, I'd probably move that 4 to 16 by 44 Viper across to the 22 and do something different with the 2 to 3, but that's just the way I'd go. E- either way, if you, you could get something relatively cheap on there and just get stuck into it, I think it'd be the, the main thing, get, in, get it shooting and, and tweak it as, as much as you need to um, if you want to keep that price down. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm still going to still gonna say uh, swap that scope over, put that on the 22 and run something different on your, your 2 to 3 that's perhaps a little bit more in line with, you know, that you can dial up quite comfortably mm. and more along that line, not necessarily changing the magnification, magnification be appropriate, but uh, something you can dial a little bit. It really depends on which way you want to go with it, uh, what your longer term plan is as well, uh, and that scope is probably not too heavy to be wandering up and down hills. Um, what sort of ridicules are that thing? Uh, the one he says there is a BDC, so uh, from memory, it's like a st- standard duplex with a and, and a handful of lines underneath the oh, okay. the center cross. So there's head. probably better options for reticule for long range too. Yeah, yeah, yep. I, I would agree. Has anyone had any experience with the Nikon's and all the Bushnells? I think they make like a dedicated 22 type of you know long range scope, if you call it long range. Yep, I AR have had a little play with one of those. Yeah. I'd, I'm not so sure about the um. Uh, what well, the 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 question I would have for it is how well it dials, how consistent mm. it dials. Yeah, because okay. they're very ch- they're very cheap. They they're are. A, <laughs> a very uh, easy to easy to enter into price point. Mm. Mm, absolutely, which is which is I guess why my question is how well does it dial? Because generally yeah, speaking, tracking test would tracking be tracking is oh, always yeah. always the one. That, well, uh, tracking could could suffer. Uh, and and the, the reason I ask is I haven't seen any data on it and haven't seen anyone do it. So, yeah. it's, uh, I, to be fair, I haven't gone looking for anyone to do it either. But um, that would be the first thing I'd be checking out if there is any info around on that. Um, but that would be a really good point. So, um, that, that particular scope could suit that gun quite well um, in that price bracket. Mm. Greg, have you got any thoughts on that? The 22 side of things? No, I haven't actually. Um, no. no, I haven't done a lot with 22s for quite a while. Um, never had a Bruno and, yeah. Sorry, I'll step away from that one. <laughs> back, back away. Back oh, away. I quietly. use a twenty-two as a trap gun when I trap foxes, and that's it. It doesn't even have a scope on it. So, yeah, I, I'm no good. No, but you have been around twenty-two competitions. Oh like yeah, I've been road for twenty-two comps. Yeah. Um, and look, that particular comp, the day I road, it was, um, it was, I guess the. the uh, new guys, new people. Yeah. yeah, new people having a go. And what was great to see was it was. All sorts of people, boyfriends and girlfriends, you know, wives coming out for a shot. It was yep. really great to see. Um, you know, we had a couple of really serious guys in there. Um, yep. And it ranged from, you know, was it PWS, the little side cocking jobby, mm-hmm. um, right through to stuff they just grabbed out of the cupboard. And yep. they just had an absolute ball. And it didn't, um, yeah, particularly that level, the, some of the stuff they just grabbed, like the farm gun. Yep. Didn't do bad. It didn't do bad. Didn't the only bad. thing probably that was restricting them the most was some of them had little to no magazine size. Yeah, but, fair point. Um, some guys really cope well with that. I was surprised, actually. You know, they're like manically uh, reloading <laughs> on the fly. And it's like, man, that was really well done. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but that, the, the Bruno doesn't suffer from that because you can get 10-round mags comfortably for yeah, that gun. Yeah, exactly. So, so you got a good basis to start from. Yeah, those comps, you know, I don't think, you know, there's a lot of people doing really well with just pretty standard mm. 22s. Um, so that, yeah, that's what I saw. 
was good. We're starting to run them as our local club matches. Good for uh, on the on the tactical weekend, and it's yeah, you're right, significantly popular. Yeah. Every everyone's coming out. You know, we're getting about 15, 16 people because, and we're also the course of fire can be, as you know, a bit more interesting. You know, not too far to walk down to Fort Scott and Patrick, bring you back, come back. No, absolutely. And, um, and your your steel targets can be a bit more easy to put out because you're not wrecking them all the time, and it's just mm. yeah, it's heaps of fun and still challenging as we know. Oh and, yeah, you know you got to mm. lift or, like, Everyone thinks it's easy to hit us with a bit of a left right wind, you know, a hundred meters. Good luck. Mm. They haven't really done enough long range shooting. No, it's it, that's the thing I do like about it, is the, the challenge is there, and um, yeah, I guess yeah, you know, I'd I'd like to encourage anyone who is. Uh, is at a particular club and, and, you know, they wanted to get into the practical side of thing and they, you know, they got a fairly comfortable 22 uh, template that they can run. Um, if you need some help, get in touch and, and we'd love to sort of, you know, sort of point, point in the right direction of getting some 22 stuff happening or just get stuck into it because it's, um, it's good. Uh, it's really good fun and really accessible and easy to get up, up and running. And as we said before, most people have 22, so they can you can usually get a, a few numbers for it. Do you guys have the same argument we have at the club? I mean, sorry, when I say argument at the pub, of course, when we discuss all our strategic thinking, the uh, the the benefits of sub-velocity, standard velocity, and mm. hyper-velocity in those 22 matches. Yep. Do we? Uh, is there a consensus? Uh, the consensus is, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> and perhaps the number of people I've spoken to, is uh, subsonic is generally the way to go. Keep yeah, it up. Yep. Yeah, we're starting to experience that as well. Yeah, not not having that uh, that potential lack of stability through the transonic range, particularly for a projectile that's not designed very well to handle that, is uh, certainly keeping it subsonic seems to um, seems to go well, and that's backed up by the the chapter in the that uh, modern advancements in long range shooting oh, volume two from Litz, yep. who um yeah then talks about that and I'm, i know we've discussed that on the show before um and and my experience with that and um that yeah that what he speaks about in there sort of sort of yeah rung true with what, what i was sort of thinking at the mm. time and went yeah Okay, that makes sense. At least there's now some data to sort of back up the gut feel uh, for some stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, it's good. Twenty-two target shooters have been shoot subs for. for yeah, years. but usually it's that but distance. Not yeah. Range, so yeah. when when you're going, oh, there's a two hundred and fifty meter target for your twenty-two. Yeah. The 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 initial thoughts are, oh, I better I better be going as fast as I can yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you know makes sense on the surface, but you scratch a little bit and you go, okay, maybe maybe subsonic might be the right the way to go and and our you know data's backed that up and then obviously you know a book like that comes out and you go oh, wow okay right <laughs> yeah yeah the experts agree as well you can't okay, argue so. with real data can you no well you can but you'll lose yeah you'll lose excellent so uh alex uh thank you very much for listening that's um that's certainly a, a lot of different things in there to talk about and hopefully the guys who have listened along has uh, have have been able to take something from there that's relevant to what they're doing um Simon, can you give us the dates for the next? Actually, give us the couple of shoots if you have them there. If not, I, I do actually have them in front of me now as well. Um, your next shoots in uh, in New South in Sydney. Yeah, there's um, for those guys interested in listening to the the podcast. We've got a couple of websites up running, and obviously our Facebook pages are mm. quite popular. Um, I'll just bring up the uh, quickly. Yeah. I, I, I may have cheated. So, watch yourselves. twenty twenty uh, ninth yeah. of October is the 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 Sydney one. Yep. Um, and the Castle Mains on the nineteenth of November, and the yep. final Canberra ones on the third of December. Um, the Hornsby flight has gone up. It's actually quite good because um, it's actually uh, um, a sharp shot short range match, hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred by memory. Oh wow! So. Okay. Um, Lots of lots of rounds um, in different types of service positions. Yep. Um, Jared's always good with his flyers. Flyers up, so he's um, he always likes to experiment on the theme of of prone supported or un- prone unsupported. Yep. As the case may be. Um, and then my match in Canberra will be obviously the the popular match two hundred um, shot between two hundred five hundred yards, which is the uh, which is the uh, army sniper assessment match okay. that we uh, that we sort of yep. what's the word I'm looking for get everyone to peg their uh, 
their sort of where they sit um, in terms if you if you're just seeing if you've improved over the year you know we always say if you get over 300 points then uh, then you're doing really well okay. and so it's a it's sort of like the core match that you can that the, the, the street doesn't change so you can always see how you how, you, how you're faring That's a good way so to yeah there's the uh yeah, they're the three matches, and then hopefully we'll crown a, a new uh, a new champion through the year. And um, I'd like to thank, thank you, Rusty, too, for your support throughout the year, um, which has been uh, fantastic, really pleasing. So it's it's great to see it, uh, great to see it going. And eleven matches is it similar sort of setup for next year in terms of the the number of matches and such, or a few more? Yeah, you're right. We do a we always run a planning session, a bit of strategy session at the end of the year. Yep. Um, at the end of the Canberra shoot, we get um, Brian and Jared and myself in a room and we talk about um, what our goals and what our wants are for the year. Because as you know, there's uh, you know we we have to think about strategies like growth. Well, mm. Do we sustain the numbers? We grow the numbers. We're always looking for people to run matches of this style, and obviously we're absolutely here to help because obviously we're passionate about it. So we like to think that other people will will, will mm. buy into that passion. Um, hopefully, Queenslanders, because Queensland, um, I don't know if you know, is a massive service rifle state. Um, combined service and service rifle up there is huge, and probably it's probably the just state okay. and in fact we're running our combined services nationals here in Canberra in a week which means we're shooting uh, the, another version of the long range match there Excellent. Um, so yeah so um, you know if anyone's if anyone's interested in getting into this type of shooting obviously reach out but uh, but yeah hopefully uh, hopefully um, next year will be bigger and better and more importantly um, people are improving because we we do sit down and talk about what our uh, what really is it that the shoots that we do you know why do we put all that effort in volunteer all that effort all that hardship all the sometimes all the angst mm. and it really is about seeing people improve you know guys turn up to our matches um, we're getting you know you know five or six out of three hundred and now they're getting consistently you know two eighties two nineties. Um, out of 300 and that's yeah. just brilliant because they're just learning so much and they're and you know like-minded individuals social learning talking experiencing um, what it's all about and then they go away and talk to other people and if it flows down then it can do nothing um, but but good things for the for the sport and the, and the general shooting community as well so I'm very uh, I find myself very lucky that uh, that we're doing what we're doing <laughs> because as you know it's uh, it's yeah it's good yeah, absolutely, and this is why I really enjoy talking with you, Simon, at, at the matches that we've been to and bits and pieces on here because uh, you're, you're passionate, you're excited, and you've been doing this. You've been doing this a long time, really now. And um, 2011. Yeah. 2011. So yeah. seven years. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's you know really for this sort of stuff. That's some of the early the early adopters, and and you're still you you know we can all hear it in your voice. You're still really passionate about it. Still really excited about it, and and your desire is to see people grow and develop. And uh, now it's excellent. So so guys, if you can get along to one of these matches, please do. Uh, make sure if you do get along, uh, you know, introduce yourself to Simon, and uh, no doubt he will. Um, he will be really excited to to have you there and uh, and you know do what he can to help you hit targets, and, unless you mm, you're about man. unless you're using his rifle and about to beat you and and uh, he might be, <laughs> maybe throw you a few curveballs. I don't know. That's right. Don't worry, <laughs> Rusty. I'll bring a spare rifle for you on when you go to Castlemaine. But I can't wait. I also <laughs> want to. Uh, <laughs> I also want to do a big shout out to all the companies now springing up to do do offer um, long range courses. Mm. Um, I wasn't skeptical at first. I just thought it, I sort of really hoped it would, it would work out well. But the feedback I get from people to attend those courses, the shit, the matches, uh, are just simply fantastic. Um, everyone learns something yep. at those courses because we all do get a bit blase that I've been doing it for so long. You know, I know everything. But as technology changes, as 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 um, competitions become tougher, in, you know, in my world, and hunting becomes, you know, sort of. I don't know what the word looking for. You know, you try to try to Fair try enough. to better yourself in terms. Of, yeah, further try. Um, you know, you you should always be thinking that you can always learn from from other people. So, you know, if you do want to get in the sport and you're a bit nervous, join one of those um one of those courses because the feedback I get is um is really is really encouraging. So um, don't hesitate to to once again get out there and talk to people about their experiences mm. because that's the that's the that's the almost the you know the the golden, you know the golden, the 
on board of of success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sharing that knowledge and passing it on, and uh, if that's in a formalised environment, then wonderful, because that you know those people that are there are there to help you improve. Uh, or if that's in an informal environment, going to comps. Um, you know, we, we always say to guys that the best way, the best way to sort of be able to you know ascertain where you're up to and and what you need to learn is go shoot a comp. And you will very quickly work out where you need to, to work on and, and you also will, will improve uh, very significantly. So it's uh, it's good. So keep running comps and uh, we'll keep doing training and uh, and hopefully continue to grow and uh, see more people. So excellent, Simon. Well, thank you very much for joining us this evening. It's been wonderful having your input uh, into this. I'm sure Alex appreciates and and the others that are on the uh, listening away to the podcast as well. So thank you for your time. Not a problem, Rusty, and and thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. No dramas at all. And uh, Greg, uh, any plans this weekend to get out, mate? Uh, no, none this weekend. But no. uh, yeah, hopefully in the next few weeks. Last week. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. The pups are out now. The fox pups are out, so it's game ah, on. It's right. game on. It's, so uh, this is where I up the ante. So I'll, I'll be up out to all my properties over the coming weeks and. Yeah. yeah, hopefully give you a bit of a rundown when I get yeah, back. Yeah, absolutely, and hopefully the thermal um, uh, thermal performs uh, back on back on deck. Yeah, I reckon I got it sorted, so yeah, should be right. Cool, and uh, give us the name of your YouTube channel again, if you remember it. Last time you uh, didn't. What is it? Uh, terminal performance. I'm, I'm glad you remembered this time. No, I'm not on there very often. No, but yeah, no, good. I'm about to put three or four videos up there. Yeah. Um, of the last trip. Um, so yeah. Yep, check yeah, it out. If check you, it out. If you like thermal uh, thermal images of uh, small little animals getting blown apart. Um, Feral animals, of yeah, course. Yeah, the appropriate yeah, appropriate ones. Um, yeah. Then, yeah, certainly worthwhile uh, checking out and following what Greg does on there. And um, also a little shout-out. We're doing, we're doing all the shout-outs at the moment uh, to Hunting HQ as well. Yep. Have you guys done your episode number four yet? No, no, we missed it last Wednesday. Okay. So next Wednesday we should get another episode up. Yep, um, no problems. Got plenty to talk about. Um, yeah, so if you're interested, just for now, we've we've got the Instagram going. Yeah, uh, that's hunt hunting HQ. No so, G. Yeah, no G with a yep. under. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Hunt, yeah, with an underscore in between uh, I N hunting and, and HQ hunting and uh, HQ HQ. Yeah. yeah, check it out and uh, and have a listen. There's there are a few podcasts up floating about now, so yeah, uh, they're yeah, good. They're, they're they're good. Bit of a I, laugh. I thoroughly enjoy rum facts. By the way, please yeah. pass that on yeah, to the rum baron. Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the rum baron for me. Uh, they uh, keep yeah. them flowing. Yeah, so we're working speak. on the Facebook, but definitely uh, Instagram. Um, yeah. No, you that, guys still good feed. Uh, we'll, we'll try and we're all not very uh, social media savvy, so we're we're working on it. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's right. You keeping up with technology? Nicely done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and last thing we will mention, uh, guys, who, who if you if you do like the podcast, we would really appreciate any support through Patreon. You can do uh, if you're in that position, that'd be absolutely amazing. Check it out. At least have a little look, and uh, we will uh, continue to make these podcasts and keep pumping them out and. Uh, Hopefully, keep putting knowledge out there. All right, gentlemen, thank you, uh, thank you all for uh, playing along tonight, and uh, we'll be back again uh, sometime in the future. All right, catch you later. Thanks, Rusty. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page, and for more information, head to our website www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Scoped Out Shooting Optics and Accessories. 